Hello, everybody! Welcome to another episode of I Wanna Watch the Very Best Because Gotta Watch Em All Was Taken. I'm your trainer guy friend, Ryan Geyser, and I am here to welcome you to the finale of the Orange Islands! Woo! Yay! We did it! That's right! Before the year is done, we will be entirely finished Generation 1 of Pokemon, and we can move on to Generation 2 in the Johto region. Now, a couple things to note about um, this podcast and Johto. Now, something of note with Johto is that at the very end of the series, we begin something called Pokemon Chronicles, which are these, like, collections of episodes that kind of show some other side characters doing their own thing. There's one focusing on Brock, Richie, the main characters of the Gold and Silver games. It's just this little extra thing to kind of, like, supplement the anime, and, um... I'm debating covering it or not. I probably will, but it's something I have to consider. It um, kind of bridges the gap between Johto and Hoenn a little bit. And another thing, I unfortunately am going to have to take another bit of a break because December is going to be very wild for me. I got a new job and am moving to actually go do that job. I have a showcase I'm attending for a week in December, and just the holidays in general are going to be busy too, so... I think it'd be best for me, personally, to take the month off, at least. Um, I'm anticipating maybe, like, mid-January at the latest I'll be back. I apologize for the long wait between Gen 1 and Gen 2, but I I need to focus on a lot of other stuff that is uh, kind of taking precedent over this for-fun podcast. But... I will be back with Gen 2 at some point in January, so make sure to keep an eye out for that, and um, I hope you don't abandon me, because it'd make me cry. (laughs) And another bit of fun news, according to my podcast hosting site, this show has reached 1,000 downloads! Woo! Yeah! Thank you, guys. It's all thanks to you and your hard work, and you're great! You're, you're, in fact, you guys are, like, perfect, I could even say. So take that and run with it. And if anyone asks you in, like, an interview what your strongest quality is, you can tell them that um, this random Pokemon podcast guy says that you are perfect. So I think you'll get hired on the spot. So with all of that out of the way, let's just jump right into the finale of the Orange Islands. Episode 112. Enter the Dragonite. Synopsis. Ash's battle against Drake continues, but will our hero be able to prevail over the Orange Crew leader's trump card? After a quick recap of the last episode, we resume with the smoke clearing from Lapras and Gengar's last attack, revealing that it's actually a double knockout! That was a very fast resolution. Ash and Drake thank their Pokémon for their hard work, the announcer commenting that while Ash may not have completely won that round, this is the first time three of Drake's Pokémon have been knocked out in a row! The field is changed, each trainer taking a second to rest, Drake confident in the Pokémon and the ball around his necklace, looking up at the Dragonite statue, and spoiling what it is, even if it's not that secret. Team Rocket, sitting in the stands, watches the match. The twerp's doing pretty well for himself. He's not so great. Well, if he's not so great, then how come we never managed to beat him? I've had enough of you two. You insult us while Meowth sits there giving himself a manicure. <laughs> for James, it'd be a manicure, but for me, it's a Meowth-a-cure. Well, great or not, that kid'll never be Dragonite. 
Meowth reminds his comrades that Ash doesn't need to beat Dragonite, just soften it up a bit, stealing it when the time is right. The new field rises, revealing itself to be a sandy, desert-like terrain, each trainer standing on opposite sides. Drake chooses Venusaur. Deciding that Bulbasaur wouldn't be tough enough, and Lapras being out of the running, the boy chooses to send out Tauros again. Recovered from its confusion, Ash starts with Fissure. However, due to the desert field, the attack fails, Tauros unable to shake the land, and instead getting its hooves stuck in the sand. <laughs> that rhymes. Venusaur then uses Solar Beam, charging up sunlight, Ash having a limited window of time. Tauros, now unstuck, uses Takedown. It rams against the Grass Frog, but the bull can't get a good slam, the sand's not giving enough grip. Just as Venusaur's about to let loose the blast, Ash has Tauros butted into the air. Unfortunately, Venusaur repositions itself to still land the attack. Thankfully, when the dust clears, Tauros managed to avoid the brunt of the assault and is still standing. Venusaur then vine whips the bull, who successfully dodges most of them, but manages to get knocked aside by one. However, recovering, it quickly goes for another takedown, rushing right through the vines and slamming into Venusaur, putting it down for the count and winning Ash another round. Drake sends out his second-to-last Pokemon, Electabuzz. Seeing that Toro seems to be getting worn, Ash decides he needs to use someone that still has energy, picking Bulbasaur. Ash is confident that a Grass-type should cinch this one, but Tracy warns Ash that the Pokemon's level matters too. One of the few times levels are referenced in the show, and I think the second time overall since the school episode way back in the beginning. Electabuzz uses Thunderbolt, but Bulbasaur easily tanks it, using Razor Leaf Encounter. Electabuzz tries to use Thunderbolt in the Flurry of Leaves, but Bulbasaur tackles, hitting its opponent but getting hammered with an electric punch in return. Unfortunately, this attack hit hard enough that Bulbasaur is knocked down, the ref judging that it's no longer fit to battle. Ash recalls Bulbasaur, deciding to finally send out Charizard. Maybe not the smartest move since it's a flying type, but the announcer seems to think it's a good call. Charizard starts with a flamethrower, Electabuzz dodging and landing a thunder punch. Charizard then gets hit with a thunder, momentarily stunning it. Ash tells it to use Ember, which was altered from the original command to fire spin, a giant vortex of flame interrupting the electricity flow. Charizard flies, grabbing Electabuzz for a seismic toss before it has the chance to use Thunderbolt. Flying around an imaginary globe again, Charizard throws Electabuzz into the ground, ending Electabuzz's part in the match. While Ash still has four Pokemon to use, Drake is down to his final teammate. The announcer warns that the leader has saved his best for last, sending out his Dragonite. It'd be so funny if it was a different Pokemon and Team Rocket just went crazy with anger over that. Initially looking all cute and harmless, Dragonite switches to its serious face, alerting Ash and his friends to its real strength. Charizard starts with a flamethrower, but Dragonite puts it out with a water gun, blasting right through the fire to hit Charizard dead on. Ash has Charizard fly, dodging an ice beam. Which is good, because if Poliwrath was able to almost kill Charizard with the same move, Dragonite would have absolutely murdered them. 
Dragonite then takes to the air itself with incredible speed, each of them taking shots at each other, both dodging. Charizard then dives to get away, Dragonite diving to meet it. Taking the opportunity, Charizard tackles Dragonite in the air, attempting to use Seismic Toss, but Dragonite flips it around, pulling Charizard into a chokehold and using Slam to ram Charizard into the ground. While everyone thinks that Charizard is down for the count, it actually manages to hold on, standing up after the attack, but is visibly weakened and tired. Charizard then charges up a Dragon Rage, Dragonite firing back with its own, their collision causing an explosion that knocks the two Pokemon back and fills the arena with dust. When the cloud clears, both Pokemon are still standing but panting heavily. Unfortunately, Charizard has finally had enough, collapsing unconscious. James jumps up and decides that now is the time to grab Dragonite. However, Jessie pulls him back into his seat, her and Meowth enjoying the fighting too much. Ash recalls and thanks Charizard for wearing Dragonite down, sending out Squirtle next, starting with a spinning hydro pump. Dragonite counters with its own water gun, pushing Squirtle back, the turtle struggling to hold on. Drake then has it use Thunderbolt, Squirtle withdrawing into its shell to reduce the brunt of it. Ash worries that another one of his teammates is down, but Squirtle surprisingly pops out of its shell and stands again, albeit a bit scuffed up. Drake compliments Squirtle's endurance, but tells Dragonite to finish it with a body slam. Ash has Squirtle use Bubble, the attack knocking Dragonite out of the sky. But, thinking fast, Dragonite lands and pivots on its foot, slamming Squirtle with its tail, finally knocking it out. Suddenly deciding that now's the time to act, the Rocket Trio quickly gets up, heads to their balloon, and launches a net onto Dragonite. Drake angrily yells at them for interrupting, but Jesse pushes his cut-in out of the way. The trio then mockingly thank Ash for weakening Dragonite for them. However, Drake simply tells Dragonite to do its thing, the Pokemon easily breaking out of the net and flying into the balloon, bursting it and sending them flying. Thanks for the interruption, Team Rocket. Glad you added so much to the plot. Yay! With only two Pokemon left, Ash chooses Tauros, having it use takedown. Drake has Dragonite fly with plans to use a slam attack, Ash telling the charging Tauros to simply stop and stay still. Drake wonders what Ash is thinking, but quickly sees the plan in action when Tauros withstands the attack, holding Dragonite back with its horn. Ash confidently tells Drake that he figured the sand of the field would act as a good cushion, his friends impressed with his skillful thinking. Tauros then throws it forward, Dragonite getting up and using Thunder, which manages to have enough strength to knock Tauros down. With only one Pokemon left each, Ash turns to a pumped-up Pikachu, both understanding that it falls to him. Pikachu starts with agility, Dragonite whipping it with its tail. Pikachu struggles to recover, but snaps up when Drake calls for a Hyper Beam. Dragonite launches the powerful blast, seemingly hitting an exploding Pikachu. However, the mouse thought quickly. Bending back onto his tail, Pikachu used it as a spring to jump into the air and clear the attack unharmed. Worn from the battle and the hyper beam, Dragonite is powerless to stop Pikachu from landing and grabbing onto its head. 
Dragonite tries to shake them off, but Pikachu lands a point-blank thunder, being shoved off right as the attack finishes. Dragonite seems to have withstood it, though, still standing but panting heavily, Pikachu also starting to breathe hard. But as the two stare each other down, Dragonite's strength gives out, falling to the ground and winning Ash the battle. Dragonite is unable to battle. The winner of this competition is Ash Ketchup. The challenger wins the match. The challenger wins the match. The they all did it. Pikachu gently falls, worn out himself, Ash running over and scooping up his partner, thanking him for the help, the two hugging. Once the Pokemon recover, Ash calls them all out as Drake awards our hero with the Orange League Winner's Trophy, saying that he earned it and is an extraordinary trainer. Ash says that the congratulations should go to his team, possibly echoing the lesson Prima taught him, as his team cheers on in celebration. As the narrator signs us off, we see Ash's place in the Hall of Fame, a picture of him and his team placed in front of their cemented handprints, a cut-in of Ash saying that he can't wait to tell Brock about this. This is the kind of style later big battles adopt. One really OP Pokemon is sent out, and half or more of the episode is spent trying to take it down. While I think I'm going to become annoyed with that kind of trope later, in this episode I think it was pretty entertaining. Maybe I just like Dragonite. I do wish that Team Rocket didn't get involved, though. They just spend a minute needlessly breaking the episode's flow. I would have liked it much more if maybe they got so distracted enjoying the match that they forgot their plan, only angrily remembering as they're walking away. It still would have had the trio show up, been funnier, and fill the same runtime. And actually, I think that is what they do in later big battles in the series. Mostly stay to the side of spectators with the occasional scene or two, not really interrupting the match. So, I'm glad the anime realized that was the better option later. But honestly, this kind of gives the fulfilling end to Gen 1 that Indigo League never gave us, and I enjoyed it. But, we're not done yet, so let's scoot along to... Episode 113, Viva Los Lapras! Synopsis. Finishing up their Orange Island journey, Lapras discovers and is reunited with its family. However, its herd turns their back on it, no longer accepting the Pokemon. And to make matters even worse, a fearsome pirate crew begins targeting the protected Lapras groups as well. Ash is still overjoyed with his league victory, unable to stop himself from admiring his trophy, to the point that Misty is growing concerned. Suddenly, Lapras cries out and makes a quick, sharp turn, speeding forward desperately. After a few moments, the Pokecrew sees a herd of Lapras, amazed at the amount of them, Misty proposing that Ash's Lapras might know them, Tracy saying it might be the school Lapras was originally separated from. Ash flashes back to his first meeting of Lapras, recalling how it was found lost from its group and mistreated by humans. He then excitedly looks forward to meeting Lapras' friends, but when Lapras calls out to them, the school turns away and swims faster to avoid the Pokemon. One lighter-colored one seems a bit more distraught leaving it behind, but is forced to continue the abandonment. Ash yells at them, but noticing the group still following, one of the Lapras shoots a blast of water at our heroes, Tracy wondering why a normally peaceful Pokemon is acting so aggressive. 
It then sends out a mist, preventing the group from pursuing the school further. While Ash's group wonders what's going on, Lapras lets out a tearful cry. On the next island stop, the Poke crew report the incident to Professor Oak, who theorizes that the herd's actions stem from a fear of humans, suggesting someone may be attacking them, Ash angrily interrupting and demanding to know who could be harming them. An officer, Jenny, overhearing the outburst, suggests that's a group of Pokemon poaching pirates who've been attacking and capturing Pokemon despite the island and its surrounding ocean being a no-capture sanctuary. Pirates like Captain Hook? Yes, but we call the lead pirate Captain Crook. <laughs> yes, the man's name is actually Captain Crook. Okay. Ash bets he knows who's really behind it all. Team Rocket! So tell me what you know about this Team Rocket trio. Well, officer, all I know is they're three of the sneakiest, snakiest, lyingest losers you'll ever meet. Who are you calling loser? But he's got the rest right. They're here? Prepare for trouble, assault, and battery! And make it double, but thanks for the flattery! It's revealed that Team Rocket is actually in the Pokémon Center, severely injured. Until they rip off their bandages during the motto and stand proud! Except this causes their bones to break further, collapsing in pain as Meowth sadly finishes the speech. Ash accuses them of poaching, but Jesse refutes this, saying they haven't actually poached anything this time. Instead, they flash back to earlier, their submarine getting caught in the cannon blast of a ship, being blown out of the water and flying into a cliff, exploding. Jenny then smugly offers for them to come down to the station and file a report, and she can also give their records a quick look over while they're there. Realizing just how much trouble they're in, the Rocket Trio run through the center's big glass windows, running off despite their injuries, and wishing our heroes luck on stopping the pirates! Bye! Jenny pursuing them while Ash just hopes they keep running. On the seas, the lighter-colored Lapras, confirmed to be the mom of Ash's Lapras, tries to approach the island, but is blocked by her herd. Suddenly, a large pirate ship begins to sail towards them. A lookout yelling that a school of Lapras have been spotted, Captain. His Captain Crook giving the order to prepare the Pokeballs in the cannons. Ash, setting off on Lapras again, is determined to catch up to the Pokemon's family once more. Tracy wonders how Ash plans on convincing the herd that they're harmless. And Ash gives a forced smile. The ship fires Pokeballs at the Lapras, which send out Tentacruel that surround the school and begin attacking with Poison Sting. The lead Lapras water guns the barrage away, it and its comrades escaping, but Crook's crew fires more balls to continue the attack. It's then that Ash's group sees the sea's scene. I'm out of alliterative words already, that was quick. Tracy points out that the ship is firing Tentacruel instead of cannonballs, Misty disgusted by this. Which makes sense, since she has been very vocal of her love of tentacles for a long time. Tracy says he'll get Officer Jenny, sending out and grabbing onto Meryl, while Ash and Misty say they'll do whatever they can to protect the Lapras, Misty kindly telling him to be quick but safe. As the kids in their living boat speed towards the pirate ship, Team Rocket pursues them in their sub. Jessie then says that she'd love to see them get stung by tentacruel like they were despite them getting hit with an actual cannonball in the flashback and not a Pokemon. The Lapras are now surrounded by Tentacruel, huddled in a scared circle as the ship approaches. 
Captain Crook orders the Pokemon to use Poison Sting, all of them rising and preparing to strike. Ash and Misty then come running in on Lapras, our hero giving Pikachu the order to Thundershock the Tentacruel. The rodent then zaps them, the entire circle getting electrocuted, including the Lapras school, and Ash's Lapras, and the two humans who desperately beg for Pikachu to stop. He stops the discharge, Ash weakly saying he forgot about Water's conductivity. The plan kind of works, though. The Tentacruel break formation around the Lapras, instead targeting Ash's group. James and Meowth watch and cheer for the Twerps winning against the Pirates, Jesse hitting them and reminding the two that they root for Team Rocket's side and no one else's. Crook sails between Ash and his jellyfish, yelling at the boy for assaulting his Pokémon. Undeterred by the threat of Jenny, the Pirates then begin launching cannonballs at the kids. Ash yells for Lapras to dodge them, the Pokémon successfully serpentine maneuvering them. Ash decides that if he doesn't take the counterattack, the cannon barrage will just continue. Misty then sends out Goldeen, Poliwag, and Staryu, Ash tossing out Squirtle and telling it to follow Misty's orders. And while it'd admittedly be a risk on the seas, Charizard lighting the ship on fire might have been a good decision too, but eh, whatever. The girl and water Pokemon begin to swim to the ship, water types using water gun to blast holes in it, destroying cannons and masts, ending by blasting Crook with the attack as well. Angrily, he demands they return fire, his shipmate sadly informing him that they're out of cannonballs. Before the captain promptly picks him up, shoves him in the cannon, and horribly misses his shot, Goldeen spraying the man in an aerial loop. Ash then taunts the Tentacruel, who begins swimming towards him. Lapras then water guns the leader, fully drawing their aggro and leading them away from the Lapras herd. Unfortunately, the Tentacruel begin to catch up with Ash. In the Magikarp sub, Jesse gloats about their plan working, then threatens violence for James to speak his mind. He then timidly points out that they're right behind Ash, so the Tentacruel will hit them first. Which proves true, one of them body slamming the sub into a blast off. The Tentacruel catch up to Ash, who begins to worry. Meanwhile, Misty has somehow tied up the whole pirate crew, who could have probably easily overpowered a small girl even with her Pokemon. Staryu and Squirtle alert Misty to Ash's situation, the redhead demanding the pirates call off the attack. Crook, however, refuses, getting a water gun by Poliwag as punishment. The Tentacruel surround Ash, who quickly tells Lapras to use water gun, stunning one of them. However, Captain Crook orders the Horde to use supersonic attack, Misty shutting him up just a moment too late. The attack stuns and threatens to seriously hurt Ash, Lapras, and Pikachu, a Tentacruel charging at them to finish the job. Thankfully, at the last second, a barrage of ice beams shoot out, freezing all the Tentacruel solid. Their frozen corpses sink into the ocean, revealing that the Lapras herd had rescued them. Lapras's mother reunites with her child, the rest of the herd finally seeming to accept it as well. Later that day, Officer Jenny arrests the pirates. And Team Rocket, who somehow was also captured. Untie us! How can you lump us in with these scummy, scurvy scavengers? And to think, I'm rooting for you. That was very nice of you, Meow. 
I can testify to the fact that we were both rooting for you twips. I'll testify too! Save it for the judge. There are outstanding charges against you all. She's not talking about your credit card. Get away from me! Misty informs the Tentacruel that they're all free to do what they want, all of them swimming off into the sunset. Misty hoping they don't get roped in with more bandits, and with no assurance that what they want isn't more acts of aggression. Ash, meanwhile, jokingly tells Lapras that it should be happy it's not lugging him around anymore. It then teasingly knocks him into the water, nuzzling and licking its former trainer. But hearing the call of its family, Ash insists that it's time for Lapras to return where it belongs. It looks at him sadly, whining as a montage of some notable memories play. Ash gives one final insistence for it to leave, the Pokemon ducking underwater, Ash remarking how quickly it agreed, before it lifts him onto its head one more time, letting him get back onto the boat. The two share one last tearful goodbye as Lapras then leaves to return to its mother's side. The trio thanks Lapras for its assistance, saying they'll always miss and remember it as they wave farewell, Lapras crying out to them one more time as it leaps from the water, episode closing. And thus, Lapras's brief tale has come to an end. They were the best boat and once or twice Pokemon a boy could ever ask for. While they apparently show up in the Gen 2 episode later, I haven't seen that one before, so I can't really speak on it. Still, imagine how much of an asset Lapras would be if it stuck by Ash. As an infant, it won a gym battle, almost won another, and tied with a champion-level Pokemon. Most people probably don't consider this, but if Lapras could do that as a baby, how OP would it be when it grew up? While it was for good reason, Ash lost a really strong Pokemon. One of my big issues with this episode, though, is that I wish Team Rocket didn't show up again. I think it would have been way funnier to have them show up injured, say it wasn't their fault, and then run off and not appear again. Kind of like Red Herring in a pup named Scooby-Doo or something like that. But instead, they show up to contribute nothing. They could have at least, like, teamed up with the pirates in a moment of opportunity, but no, they just get blown up and captured. Story would be unchanged without them. Kind of lame. Otherwise, everything aside, I think this was a good finale for Lapras. The practicality of being a boat is no longer needed, and it resolved the issue presented in their first episode of getting separated. But just consider for a second, though. Until Sun and Moon, this was the only league Ash won. And then, the next episode, he releases one of the Pokemon that helped with his only victory for years. It's kind of wild. But is it as wild as our next episode? Well, I suppose there's only one way to find out in... Episode 114, The Underground Roundup. Don't worry, that funny voice will make sense in a little bit. Synopsis. Attempting to return home, Ash and his friends become stuck when the city their ferry is on becomes overrun with Electrode. After bidding farewell to Lapras, the Pokey crew now has to travel on foot again. Arriving on Hamlin Island, the trio make their way to a bridge that leads to a ferry which goes directly back to Pallet Town. Oh, I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait to get back for one of my mom's special deep dish chili dog and pizza pot pies. I can't wait to get over to Pallet Town either, Ash, to meet Professor Oak. And I bet Professor Oak can't wait till we finally bring him that GS ball. Oh yeah, I kind of forgot about the GS ball. They haven't really shown it for a hot minute. 
However, arriving at the bridge, they find it's been blocked off, stating that dangerous conditions disallow anyone from crossing. But since that's the only way to the ferry, and the bridge seems safe enough, the group decides to just cross it anyway. Moments before part of it blows up, the three changing their minds very quickly. Instead, they grab a random robo and begin paddling across the water. But on the way, Tracy points out that the area seems oddly devoid of people, his suspicions confirmed when they begin wandering around the deserted city. The three then arrive at the ferry building, calling out to anyone who may be there. They also find the ferry, but see that it's unoperational and the door to it is locked. Misty, failing as a mom, doesn't notice Togepi wandering off. The little chitter encounters a Voltorb and then happily begins playing with it. Finally realizing her baby is gone, Misty and the group rush to look for it, eventually finding it rolling around on top of a Voltorb, panicking when they remember Voltorb can explode without warning. Misty tries to retrieve her Pokemon, but struggles to do it cautiously enough, almost earning the ball's ire. Then, the trio begins to feel a presence, watching in fear as Electrode begin emerging from the alleyways. Ash warns that all they have to do is not sneeze, move, or even breathe. Misty pointing out how dumb he sounds. Misty then kindly suggests Togepi and its new friend head back to the ferry terminal to play, the three beginning to tiptoe their way past the Voltorb. Until a breeze blows over a sign, triggering the electrode to explode, and our heroes to give up stealth and just make a mad dash to the port. Which is kind of stupid of them since there are plenty of other buildings they could also rush to hide in that offer the same amount of safety. Unfortunately, they reach a dead end, electrode on all sides, Ash bemoaning their fate. Until a man on the roof building tells them not to move. Dressed like a wandering cowboy, the man sends out a large amount of Diglett from his poncho. The mole Pokemon quickly get to work, digging holes under the electrode that they fall into, safely exploding underground. The man jumps down to the kids, escorting them back to the ferry building. While Togepi plays on Voltorb, the group thanks the man, later revealed to be named Poncho. Yes, no joke, Poncho, before asking what the deal with the island is. Poncho explains that the island used to be full and active, but a few years ago, an inventor started running electrical power experiments with Voltorb. But then one day, some of the Voltorb escaped and began multiplying rapidly, the island's conditions perfect for them to evolve into Electrode as well. As the Electrode multiplied, the lack of space caused them to become stressed, leading them to explode at even the slightest provocation, scaring the residents away. Tracy then wonders why Poncho is still on the island, Ash very rudely suggesting that he may be a looter. Poncho explains that, well, he's actually a Diglett rancher, hired by the mayor, a Diglett popping out of his hat. He elaborates that, on the main island, there's plenty of open prairie land. Taking advantage of that, he has his Diglett make tunnels under the electrode, which lead right to the prairie, where the Pokemon have more space and are less stressed and aggressive. While the trio expresses admiration for his efforts, Poncho sadly tells the kids that the islanders aren't all on board, many saying that the method is taking too long. Coincidentally, the phone rings, Misty answering and handing the phone to Poncho. He talks with the mayor's office, growing more upset as the call continues. Hanging up, he tells our heroes that the city wants the electrode gone today, 
firing him and hiring another crew, despite him only needing just a few more days. Poncho is angered that whoever they hire will probably just round up and explode the electrode to deal with the problem instead of doing it humanely. It's then that the new crew arrives, riding a giant armored car sort of thing with grabby hands. The group runs out to see it, the machine stopping in front of them as its drivers reveal themselves! How's my head? Good. How's mine? Good. How's mine? Smelly. Time again to prepare for travel. And just like always, better make it double. The Rocket Trio have decided to go even more evil than usual, stressing that this electrode eliminator is explicitly unenvironmentally friendly, the quickest way to clear out the city while also making money and keeping a horde of electrode. Ash tries to protest this, but Team Rocket has an official contract with the mayor to do this, Poncho verifying its legitimacy. They begin their plot, arms bonking the electrode into explosion, Poncho telling the kids that blowing up tires the Pokemon out, making them easy pickings for Team Rocket to scoop right up. The group wishes they could help the electrode, but are legally powerless to do anything in this situation but watch. Electrode then begins swarming the explosion site. Jesse and James a bit unnerved, but Meowth confident that it's going according to plan. However, Poncho warns that a concentrated explosion like that could spell disaster for the island. Togepi's Voltorb friend lets the baby off its head before bouncing between the Electrode and Team Rocket. Jesse tells the other two to get the small fry out of the way, but James and Meowth pity the Voltorb, saying they should capture it with the others too, sending an arm at it. Togepi then uses Metronome, hopping up and down after it does, Ash wondering why it's acting so weird. Misty then optimistically says that maybe it's trying to use an attack, Tracy rudely dismissing the idea due to Togepi being a baby. Voltorb manages to dodge the claw strikes, James growing frustrated. Togepi then rushes to Voltorb's side, Pikachu being the only one to follow it, standing in front of the two to protect them from the machine. Deciding all pretenses of legality are over, Ash has him use Thunderbolt. But as expected, the machine is fine. Meowth even saying that Ash really should have figured out that the electrode collection machine was shockproof. Laughing, Team Rocket charges forward, preparing to run over the three Pokemon blocking them. Disgusted by how they're handling electrode wrangling, Poncho reaches his limit and sends out his secret Doug trio. The Pokemon rapidly gets to work, digging a hole right under Team Rocket's vehicle, causing them to plummet into the tunnel network. That was fast and easy. Misty praises Doug Trio, but Poncho claims there's still work to do, sending out his Diglett army again. The mole Pokemon resume their job of tunneling the Electrode away, Team Rocket's scheme actually inadvertently helping Poncho, as the Electrode are all in one place. Speaking of, a depressed Team Rocket whines about how far they've fallen. Before an electrode swarm scoops them up, the Diglett moving the entire group through an upwards tunnel, leading them all to a field. Poncho shows our heroes a hot air balloon of the ranch, landing to let Voltorb off as well. Togepi is sad it's leaving, but Misty comforts it, explaining that sometimes friends part, but that doesn't mean that they're still not friends at heart. This is actually incredible accidental foreshadowing for both Misty and Togepi's story conclusions, like, wow. Togepi sadly waves goodbye to its friend, the scene fading to another day. 
the residents have happily returned to a repaired city, Ash's group bidding farewell to Poncho. He thanks the three for their help, happily telling them that the mayor was so impressed by his efforts that he got a bonus and the key to the city. Despite him violating both his and Team Rocket's legally binding firing and contract, respectively. The dub then has this really weird exchange, Misty mimicking Poncho's face as she makes an odd reference to the fact that he resembles Clint Eastwood. Those three are a disgrace! <laughs> that was something a movie hero would say. A movie hero? No, I'm no movie hero, Misty, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you're our hero, Poncho! Not sure if this was less awkward in Japanese or not, but it was just odd for some reason. I can't even really put my finger on why. Ash randomly offers for Poncho to follow them to Pallet Town, but he declines, saying that maybe they'll meet again one day. They won't. The fairy then takes off, Poncho and his hat Diglett waving goodbye as our heroes finally return to Pallet Town, unaware that Jigglypuff is still following them. Dang it, it's been so long without them, and I have enjoyed that time away from it. Why must you return, Jigglypuff? Uh. It is so hard to describe this episode's pacing. It somehow feels simultaneously too fast and too slow. It was just odd to keep up with. I think this is also the first time the anime confirmed that Electrode and Voltorb don't die when they explode. They just use up a lot of energy. Before, it was weirdly kind of in the air, but now at least, it's cemented. Also, the fact that the plot of this episode is, these little electricity balls banged so much they got angry and chased us out of our homes, so we had to get the mole cowboy to fix it, but he's taking too long, so let's try the mafia instead. Like, that's barely an exaggeration of what the plot is. Overall, it's an alright episode, but it's more of an in-between for the Lapras episode and the next one to explain how Ash returns to Pallet Town in... Episode 115, A Tent Situation. Synopsis. Returning to Pallet Town, Ash is reunited with many familiar faces. But the most intense reunion of all comes when Team Rocket lays siege to Oak's lab. Our heroes begin by finally seeing the familiar pallet town on the horizon. Ash and Misty reminisce with their Pokemon, while Tracy is eager to meet Professor Oak! Ash offhandedly suggests he show the man some sketches, but Tracy already has a huge pile of sketchbooks ready, fretting over which one would be the best to show the professor. Ash and Misty sheepishly suggesting that he just decide at Delia's place. The three then excitedly run towards the town! Unaware that Jigglypuff is close behind. As they near Ash's house, the boy takes a moment to collect himself before running inside. Surprise! Is that you, Ash? Huh? Uh. He's back! <laughs> Who's he? He's Brock! Hey, how you doing there, Misty? Hiya, Togepi. Looking good. Brock, wearing a frilly apron, happily and casually greets his former traveling group, who are stunned to see him. Misty tries to ask what he's doing in Ash's home, but he ignores her and introduces himself to Tracy, offering some fresh tea to everyone. Ash and Misty repeat their question, thinking he loved Valencia Island, the lab, and the kids. But when Misty asks about Professor Ivy, Brock reacts viscerally, curling up into a ball. How come you didn't stay with Professor Ivy? Uh, 
Brock, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, did Professor Ivy do... Uh, I just said... Uh, what happened? I don't want to talk about it. She must have dumped him. Huh? This always happens. You okay, Brock? No. And no, we never actually learned the real reason he reacts this way, but that did not stop a whole slew of people from theorizing. Anything from casual rejection to turning down the proposal, already having a husband, and even Oak's accidental misgendering earlier in the series, making some people think Ivy is trans or just straight up a guy in drag. It's all theorized. Delia then returns home with Mr. Mime. Ash rushes to give her a hug, but she dodges him and says hello to Pikachu. Man, she really is just already hardcore forgetting what she said about Ash in the Lugia movie. Delia then asks how things are with Misty, and then says it's nice to meet Tracy, despite them having already met. And before you ask, yes, the Lugia movie is canon. It's actually referenced in a later episode. Misty then asks how long Brock has been here, Delia recalling that it was about a week ago it started. Coming back from the market, she stepped on an exhausted and depressed Brock. It's a good thing we got to the market before it closed, wasn't it? Mine, Mr. Mine. Oh! Mimey, did you just hear something? Mime? So did I. Let's go back and see what it is. Mime. <coughs> I just heard it again, Mimey. It sounds like it's coming from behind us. Mime? Ah! I don't understand, oh. Mimey. I hear it, but I don't see it. Taking him to the house, she tried to figure out what was going on, but Brock just shut down whenever he heard Ivy's name. So she decided to just stop asking, especially since he's been a huge help to have around the house. Brock then rushes Mr. Mime, trying to steal the broom from Ash's dad, insisting that it's his turn to clean today, both fighting over the right to do so. Ash then again wonders what happened. I guess we'll never know what happened. I know what happened. Ash. Brock liked Professor Ivy. Well, I liked her too. Ash, Sometimes you your signature is Gary. <gasps> Don't mention that name. Rika, Rika. Come on, Ash, quit acting like Brock. Delia then offers to make Ash something special. Ash really excited to eat while Tracy whines at him, getting ignored until he yells, demanding to see Professor Oak. Delia calls him Miss Tracy, while Ash remembers that, oh yeah, he has to give the GS ball to Oak, oops. While grabbing the Pokeball, he also pulls out his Orange Island League trophy, proudly showing it to his mom. He then gives it to her, Delia saying how happy it makes her. Since she now has a second dumbbell to work out with, one, two, one, two. With one more wine from Tracy, they finally depart for the lab, the Watcher excited to share his art, and Ash eager to see his Pokemon again. Tracy asks Brock if he was excited to meet the Professor too, Brock getting triggered before Misty yells that he met Professor Oak. Brock then jumps up and says that, yeah, it was kind of cool meeting a respectable guy like that, yeah. Tracy getting even more eager from that response! Team Rocket watches from barely any cover, somehow not being spotted. James proposes taking a second to call their boss and inform him that they're still tailing the kids, but Meowth just calls him an idiot. Oh yeah? Do you want to be the one to tell him we still ain't got our paws on Pikachu? Mm-mm. 
Hey, boss, how you doing there? No, we didn't catch a single Pokemon. Not me. We're three total losers. Yeah. That's, That's right. right. Are you out of your minds? We can't call up the boss and tell him that we still ain't got Pikachu or any other Pokemon for him. We can't call the boss till we swipe some Pokemon. You're right. While Jesse says that Oak's lab is a good target, James notices that the older twerp returned to the group. It's then that our heroes arrive at the lab, Tracy rushing forward. We then get a quick cutaway of Delia polishing the league trophy, placing it proudly on the TV. Aw, she does love her son. Arriving, Ash's group enters the lab, unable to locate Professor Oak. Going further in to investigate, Ash gets glomped by a very happy Muck, who is also simultaneously keeping Oak captive, the professor happily greeting the group, saying that he was just feeding the poison type. Tracy fangasms at seeing the famous researcher, happy that the man is real. As Muck continues its unstoppable affection attack, Tracy decides that now's a good time to formally introduce himself in person, deciding to sketch the scene out. Once again, ignoring the fact that they met in the movie, but whatever. As the professor frees himself, he says hello to Pikachu and Togepi, before telling Brock that Ivy sends her regards, sending him into another spiral. Tracy then reminds Ash of his goal, the boy handing Oak the GS ball, the elderly man happy to see it, storing it away to look at later that night. Tracy marvels at the amount of Pokeballs Oak has, being told that most of them are from wandering pallet trainers before being offered a tour. Passing by a window, Ash sees Snorlax rushing out to greet him, but is ignored as it finishes its meal and falls asleep, the boy happy to see that nothing's changed. Tracy then sees Ash's Tauros herd, Ash sending the one in his party out to join them, while Tracy watches on impressed. They also see Kingler, which jumps into the water after waving high. Misty and Ash are happy to see the Pokemon in such good spirits, Oak bragging about his care of them before noticing Tracy's sketching. Stealthily approaching, he compliments the drawing he can see before asking Tracy to share any more he might have, the young boy excitedly begging the professor to look at his collection. Inside, the man flips through the sketchbooks, Tracy a tense, nervous wreck the entire time, shaking madly. <laughs> It's a good thing I'm not nervous. Hey, Tracy, take it easy! Yeah, your sketches are fine. Now just stop worrying and relax, will ya? While Oak and Brock whisper about the artwork, Team Rocket begins their plan, a giant tent surrounding the lab. Jigglypuff, down at the bottom of the lab's hill, tries to enter but grows frustrated when it can't. Our heroes rush outside, Oak commenting that it looks like a circus, the Rocket Trio reaffirming this by performing a small three-man circus act, with Tightrope walking in clowns, Ash and the Professor giving them some respectable applause. Team Rocket blast off at the speed of lightning! Surrender now, cause these clown suits are frightening! Oh, that's right! What are you doing here? We thought Pallet Town could use a little excitement. And what's more exciting than a circus? Wow, I wonder if they'll have an old-fashioned sideshow. No, just three freaks. Not that I actually care, but how come the big twerps in town? I thought you were staying back on Valencia Island with that Professor Ivy. Ah! Huh? Don't 
mention that name. Hey, he took my parasol. So one, visual gag. Brock vanishes and crouches sadly on the tightrope. Two, how did they even know he was with Ivy? I thought Ash and Misty never told them, and they never even encountered Professor Ivy. Maybe they found out by eavesdropping an off-screen conversation? I don't know. Jesse and Meowth then demand that the Pokemon are handed over. Ash refuses, preparing to send out Bulbasaur before Muck stops him. Ash going, oh, okay, sure, why not? Go, Muck! Jesse chooses Licky Tongue, but Muck rushes right past it, happily hugging a disgusted Jesse instead. Muck loves humans, and it's not too particular what kind. Slobbering all over Jesse. It's just revolting. For which one? James then sends out Victory Bell, which eats James. Muck then crawling over to hug him and the plant. Freeing himself, James demands a razor leaf, but the attack sticks in, then bounces off Muck's gooey body. The plant then bites down on Muck, slowly sucking it up. However, Ash has Muck use poison gas, which sickens the victory bell enough to just spit Muck back out. Jesse then has Lickitung use Lick, but Muck seems to enjoy it, snuggling Lickitung instead while Team Rocket whines about the turn of events. Ash is somewhat embarrassed, Oak laughs, and Tracy sparkles in admiration for the man's training. Jigglypuff continues to try forcing its way in when a cloaked figure approaches. James has Victory Bell use sleep powder, finally incapacitating Muck. Before Ash has the chance to switch it out, Jesse and James toss a bunch of rings towards the group, which wrap around all the people in Pokemon, restraining them completely. The rockets then pull down a large vacuum, lab Pokeballs flying into it, Tracy's sketchbooks following, Pikachu struggling to not get sucked in as well. After Meowth teases a depressed Brock about Ivy again, the GS ball flies out of the lab as well. But as soon as it enters the vacuum hose, light pours in from the outside, a rip appearing in the tent. The tent also catching Jigglypuff and blowing them away. They had no reason to build this up that much. I don't know why they did. Team Rocket's balloon, which had been resting on the tent, falls to the ground. Stolen Pokeballs returning to the lab somehow by flying back in. I don't know. The cloaked figure stands there for a moment, before unveiling themselves as Gary, ordering Nidoqueen to attack. Why Gary wanted to be all dramatic with the cloak in his own town? I don't know, maybe he just wanted to seem cool? Maybe he's a wanted criminal now? I don't know. Lickitung is sent to fight back, but Nidoqueen grabs its tongue and throws it into the rockets. It then uses Mega Punch on Victory Bell, flinging it into the trio as well. Meowth yells at his partners for messing up, so Jesse throws him at the Nidoqueen. Meowth is like, well, fine, I've got this, I'll kill it with my scratch attack, but ends up just breaking his claws. Using strength, Nidoqueen then launches the rockets into the sky, the trio lamenting another failure. Gary then has Nidoqueen free his grandpa and fellow trainers, who take stock of the situation. Tracy recovers his sketches, the GS ball is located, and Pikachu and Muck are fine. Oak thanks Gary for the timely assist, but the boy deflects the praise to his Nidoqueen. Misty and Brock admire how Gary trained the Nidoqueen, Oak bragging about how strong his grandson is after beginning a new training regiment. 
Ash, refusing to take someone not praising him without a fight, rushes to Gary, bragging about his Orange League victory. Gary congratulates him, but points out that the trophy didn't do much to stop Team Rocket, did it? Insulted, Ash then points out that he did better in the Indigo League. Gary very calmly pointing out that the league was a while ago, and he's had time to improve. Taking the bait, Ash challenges Gary to a Pokemon battle, Gary wordlessly accepting. The two trainers positioning themselves while everyone else looks on uneasy. While the narrator makes some weird choices. Well, this is a surprise. On his first day back in Pallet, Ash finds himself on the verge of a Pokemon battle with his arch enemy Gary, and it seems Gary is stronger than ever. Will Ash have the hometown advantage, or is he about to become the local loser? Like one, harsh. Two, Gary has a hometown advantage too. He was raised in Pallet as well. That that doesn't mean anything, dude. So, just want to say right out the get-go, Jigglypuff did not need to be here, and the world would be better off without them being pointless. They were built up so much just to do nothing but die. Second, there he is! There's the matured Gary I built up like five podcast episodes ago. I told you he's a better character. Only issue is, Ash, who hasn't grown as much by this point, is going to seem somewhat whiny and insufferable compared to the much nicer and more polite rival. And while this episode has a decent bit of slowness to it, that's because it's supposed to kind of be considered one big final episode with the next one, I think. So, let's jump right into it! Episode 116, The Rivalry Revival. Synopsis. Ash and Gary finally get their long-awaited battle. But when it's over, both must make a decision. After a recap of the previous episode, we resume with Ash and Gary preparing to battle. And you may or may not have noticed, but this is the first time they've battled each other. It took until the very final episode of Gen 1 for the two to finally clash. I feel like it would have been more fitting at the end of Indigo League than Orange Island, but eh, that's their call. Gary proposes that they each pick one Pokemon, winner takes all. Ash, seeming incredibly tense, chooses Pikachu. Gary is happy with this choice, sending out Eevee in response. Now, while I don't think this is confirmed, I could be wrong, this is a very likely reference to Pokemon Yellow version at the time, and also kind of set the stage for Let's Go later down the line. Misty loves how cute Eevee is! But Brock points out that the Pokemon is actually in peak physical condition, indicating skillful raising on Gary's part. Tracy then points out that it looks ready to evolve into a Vaporeon, Jolteon, or Flareon. I mean, yeah, Tracy, that's what Eevees do. They kind of just need the stone, no other prerequisites as of yet. Brock takes over as the referee, declaring the battle started. Ash tells Gary to pay attention and learn something from the Indigo League's top 16 and Orange League winner. Stuff he still refuses to let go of, especially for someone who fell into depression after their league loss while Gary just drove off happily. I'm here to battle, not to talk. What about you? I'm here to beat you, Gary! Pikachu begins with a quick attack, but Eevee blocks it with an incredibly power reflect, Tracy remarking that it looked like Eevee barely even felt Pikachu's assault. Ash then has Pikachu prepare Thunderbolt, but Eevee quickly procs the double team. P 
Pikachu starts attacking the illusions, but Ash stops him, saying it's a waste of energy. Gary then calls for a takedown, Ash countering with Pikachu's agility to dodge and disorient Eevee. Following with a thunder, Eevee lands a skull bash before the attack is ready, Pikachu being knocked into the air and letting out an unfocused move while everyone watches in stunned gasps. Pikachu then falls, too worn to fight, Eevee completely uninjured and declared the winner. Ash rushes over to Pikachu, saying the rodent did their best against a tough opponent, everyone else looking on kind of solemnly. Gary calls Eevee back, praising it while Oak also compliments his training efforts. Gary graciously accepts the praise, but says he still has a long ways to go. Regardless, he tells Ash that he did a good job in the fight as well, before bidding farewell to his grandpa and walking off as quickly as he arrived. Ash yells that their next battle will be different! Gary simply giving him a backwards hand wave as he keeps walking, everyone watching him go as the scene fades. Later, Ash sits on a rock with Pikachu, watching the lab Pokemon. As he's staring at the sky, contemplating, Misty peeks into his eyeline, teasingly asking if he wants to know where Gary is. Ash is like, well, why should I care where that dumb, better of a person and trainer Gary went? But when Misty says that he's already off on another big journey, Ash demands to know where! Inside, Oak attempts analyzing the GS ball, Brock and Tracy watching, but is unable to discover anything. Ash then heads inside, confirming with Oak that Gary went on another adventure. Oak then shows everyone the results. Nothing! After Misty points out how big of a mystery the Pokeball is, she accidentally triggers Brock. If you can't solve the mystery, and Professor Ivy couldn't solve it, then... That name! Oops. Misty, I'm just a Pokemon watcher, but my advice is to watch what you say around Brock, especially about you-know-who. Ash then interrupts the musings, once again demanding, where Gary go? Oak casually saying that he went off to Johto to try their Pokemon League. And while I'm not re-watching everything again to verify this, apparently this is the first time a region is mentioned by name in the series, excluding the anime-only Orange Archipelago. Oak explains that the Johto League is similar to the Indigo League, but the gym challenges in that region must be conquered first. Gary hopes to not only challenge the League, but face off against enough trainers to be strong enough to win it. Ash, refusing to come up with his own ideas, decides that he has to do the same. Misty then agrees with the idea, saying that Ash has been getting lazy since the Orange League, jokingly guessing that's why Ash lost to Gary, despite it seeming to have only been a short time since the Orange League even happened. Saying he knew they'd be a mess without him helping them train and eat right, saying that he's rejoining the group. Yeah! Brock's back! Huh? We're headed for new adventures, new challenges, new achievements. My friends, we're heading west. That sounds fine, Brock, but uh, west is this way. Right. <laughs> but whatever direction we take, we're headed for action. Pikachu! I'll bring my own map. Oak gives the GS ball back to Ash, requesting that he take it to Kurt, a Pokeball craftsman in Azalea Town, to have it looked at further. Misty of all people actually tries to protest, but Ash agrees wholeheartedly. 
The professor then tells Ash that his first stop should be the relatively closer New Bark Town, the town of new beginnings, where Ash can register for the league. At Ash's home, the group returns to find Delia packing Ash's backpack, the woman saying that she heard everything in a phone call with Oak. Brock apologizes for not being around to help anymore, but when Delia offers to make a big farewell dinner party, Brock and Mr. Mime fight over who gets to do the shopping. Mrs. Ketchum, your wish is my command. Just say the word and I'm at your service. Huh? I'll do it. After tomorrow, she's all yours. That's scary. Worst part is, they forgot my shopping list. Hurry back. Elsewhere, a very tired and injured Team Rocket trudges along a woodland trail, seeing a sign that indicates Palatown is just one mile away. Then, after some very weirdly spaced pauses between puns, Meowth points out an approaching Gary. They decide to stick it to him, bringing his Pokemon to the boss along with Pikachu. As he approaches, the trio set up a giant stage and screen to introduce themselves as they motto off. Realizing just a bit too late that Gary is walking down a completely different trail than the one they set up on, oblivious to their existence. Sighing in defeat, they decide to sadly press forward. That night, Ash and his friends celebrate with a big dinner, everyone enjoying it. Delia then reveals that, well, actually, Brock helped with most of the cooking, Misty accidentally mentioning Ivy while complimenting him. Oak then awkwardly diverts attention from a broken Brock and tells Ash that he'll encounter a lot of new Pokemon in Johto, gifting Ash a new Pokedex to help out encountering them. Tracy then casually comments that he looks forward to seeing all the new Pokemon Ash will send them. Ash wondering what he means. Tracy then announces that Oak agreed to take him on as an assistant. While Misty and Ash are sad that he's leaving the party, they're happy to hear about the incredible opportunity he's been given. Delia then sets off a small confetti popper to celebrate new beginnings, but is joined in by the surprise appearance of the human rockets disguised as news crew anchors. After helping herself to some of the food, Jessie is needlessly rude to the professor. What a young, attractive, vibrant group! Mostly. With such a fine group of friends behind him, it's no wonder that this tour, I mean this terrific young man is Just so... who are you people? Ready for your close-up? Oh! This is a heartwarming story of a mother's abiding love and a son's insatiable hunger for adventure. Oh, 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 Jesse legitimately uses a genius strategy to incapacitate Brock as well. You look familiar. I want to remind you viewers that we're coming to you live. L-I-V-E live. I hope we've provided all of you watching out there with some food for thought. They then focus the camera on Pikachu, making a couple of theft innuendos, and trigger a trap that has a big rubber hand pop out and grab Pikachu. The duo jump out the window, Ash and Mimey pursuing them, Delia asking Ash's dad to not let the duo step on the garden. Mr. Mime puts up an invisible light screen to block one escape route, but the evil duo take another way out of the yard, rendezvousing with Meowth. 
Ash yells for Pikachu to Thundershock the camera trap to pieces. But as he should expect by this point, the device is immune to such methods. Before Ash can send out a Pokemon to battle, a green figure rushes in front of him. Tracy's Scythe are prepared to battle. Its trainer orders it to use Slash, which frees Pikachu from the camera. Ash then tells Pikachu to Thunderbolt the rockets, the trio attempting and failing to run away from it. Tracy then sends out Meryl, having it Water Gun Team Rocket into a blast off. Which, fun note, is the one and only time Tracy causes their blast off. Ash thanks Tracy, who directs his thanks to his Pokemon, Ash thanking them as well. Delia thanks Mr. Mime for protecting the garden, Oak makes a pun, and the scene fades away. That night, Ash goes over his plan to leave for Johto in the morning with Pikachu. He regrets not being able to stay a bit longer, but knows that he has to get moving. He also knows that he'll miss Tracy, but is glad to have Brock back as well, before declaring his intent to win the Johto League. The next day, Ash sets off with Misty and Brock, saying goodbye to Oak, Delia, Tracy, and Mr. Mime. Tracy promises to check up on Delia to keep her company, and Oak reminds our hero about their promise with the GS ball. With words of encouragement from Professor Oak and his mother, the three wave one more goodbye and begin walking towards Johto, family and friends looking on. And there you have it. The end of the Orange Island season, and Generation 1 as a whole. Plus, as quick and kind of underwhelming as it was, we got the Ash vs. Gary match that has been built up for pretty much the entirety of these 116 episodes. Still, I feel like these two episodes kind of turn Ash back a bit. Just as he was starting to grow as a character and trainer, they had to jump in and go, Oh no you don't, stay immature so you have an excuse to adventure again and prolong the series. It honestly feels like a couple steps backwards after the Orange League. I also love how kind of unceremoniously they drop Tracy. He's just like, by the way, I'm staying here, and everyone is like, "Oh, that kind of stinks. Anyway, then they had to have him be of use again at the last second to try and make people maybe remember him as a more active participant than usual, but I don't know if that worked. But hey, what can I say? People like Brock way more than Tracy. I mean, look at how long he's around in the anime for proof of that. He goes all the way up to, like, Gen 5 is when he stops appearing consistently. A lot of people view Orange Islands as somewhat of a filler arc between Gen 1 and Gen 2, to give the former time to end and latter time to become established. And they're not entirely wrong with that assumption, I think. The only Pokemon that sticks around is Snorlax, the only real long-lasting effect is Charizard finally becomes obedient, and the Orange League victory is quickly overshadowed by Ash's other losses. But all of that still happened. Snorlax is used in battles later. Charizard takes orders and gets Ash out of some tight spots. The Orange League trophy remains in Ash's house, appearing every so often. Tracy cameos on occasion throughout later seasons. Even if the Orange Islands may be considered a waste of time by some, it's still an important step in our hero's journey to be the best. And some people definitely did appreciate the Orange Islands. Just look up Orange Islands fan game and you'll find a bunch of people who modded the Generation 3 Pokemon games to have the Orange Islands in them. So regardless of your feelings on the Orange Islands arc, it was very important to a lot of people and the show as a whole, I think. And with that, I think it's time to end this episode. As I probably said in the intro, I'm going to take some time off again. 
I have a lot of stuff coming up in December and I just really need the time. I'm moving. That's going to be a pretty big part of that. It's going to be rough on me, but it'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll move on and then we can move on to Gen 2. So, in the intermedium, if you could share this podcast with friends, family, whoever, I would appreciate it. The more new people that listen, the uh, better I feel about getting new stuff out. It just it just makes all of us happy. Hee <laughs> hee wink. But regardless of what you decide to do, I appreciate you listening this long. So, thank you. And I hope you have a great morning, day, evening, outside of space-time, whatever. Just have a good one. Bye. <laughs>